0: Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter one. We'll start in verse 18 and while you're opening there, I wanted to share that this past Friday, Danny's sister, her, not her oldest sister, but her next oldest sister, Faith and her family, they did something crazy. They moved to Colorado. Who does that? I, I don't understand it, but, but they moved to Colorado, and, and on the way, they decided to send videos to our family group chat of the mountains that they now live by. They were showing off a little bit. You see, this is our view every day. We get, to, we get to open our eyes and open the curtains, and that's what we see. And isn't that just great and kind of them? <laughs> but then I decided that I would be a little ornery, and I would record a video of my own. And, and my video had some spectacular views as well. I, I, I passed a dirt mound that There was some construction going on, and I said, look at this. I get to drive by this. Aren't you jealous? And I played it up so big that it was, big, it was better than the Rockies that I get to see this, this man-made pile of dirt. And her sister, reluctantly, she rarely likes to admit that I'm funny, that I'm the funny one in the family. She's wrong. I am the funny one. But she sent a message, and she sent a bunch of the laughing, crying faces, you know, the emojis, she sent a bunch of those back. And and that's because clearly a dirt mound in Kansas is not really comparable to the Rockies. Like, we know that. One is a man-made thing that likely is going to be gone in a month. And the other is of the hand of God himself. Just beautiful and majestic. And so as silly as that comparison is, the Rockies and a dirt mound in Kansas, I think all too often, humanity for sure, and even at times in the church, sadly, we like to gaze at mounds and react like they are spectacular, and we forget that there are real mountains out there worth gazing at. We have a problem at times seeing the mounds for what they are. It's just a pile of dirt from a construction site. The church in Corinth, as we're going to see, seemed to have the same kind of problem seeing things clearly at times too. It seemed that they had a problem distinguishing between the mountain of godly wisdom and the dirt pile of worldly wisdom. They had a problem seeing the mountain of God's grace in their life clearly behind the dirt pile of their own making and their own goodness. They had a problem seeing the mountain of God's plan clearly behind the mountain of human eloquence. So this morning, my goal is to make sure we don't have the same problems. My goal is to make sure we see clearly those mountains of God's wisdom and power on display. The mountain of God's grace in your life and the mountain of God's plan, which involves you going with the gospel. So those are what we're going to see this morning, those three mountains. And so read with me verses 18 to 25, where we'll begin to see clearly the mountain of God's wisdom and God's power. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since, in God's wisdom... The world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So, as we begin to look at that mountain of God's wisdom and power, here in verse 18, we see two groups of people set apart. These two groups of people are divided over the word of the cross. In other words, they are divided over the gospel. The first group is identified as those who are perishing. Those in this group, when they look at the word of the cross or the gospel, they see foolishness. When they think of the gospel, they likely scoff. You mean to tell me that salvation comes only through Jesus? The one who was hung on a Roman cross and crucified, that one? How can that be the only way to salvation? Who thought of that? That's foolishness. That's nonsense. That's what this group believes when they see the word of the cross. Then we see the second group, those who are identified as those who are being saved. When this group sees the word of the cross, they don't see foolishness. Instead, they see the power of God for salvation. When they look to the cross, they see Jesus, the Messiah, high and lifted up, the holy, perfect Son of God. They see him dying in their place, dying the death they deserved. They see him paying the penalty for their sins so that they would receive the righteousness of Christ while he took on their unrighteousness. To them, it's not foolish. It's a display of God's power in redeeming for himself a people that went astray and rebelled. They see it as a wonderful mountain, not a mound of dirt. So we have these two groups of people who see the word of the cross very differently. The church in Corinth, though made up of believers who at one time were looking at fully, they had their gaze fully fixed on that mountain, now they've begun to be a little distracted in their gaze. They began to not look up to the mountain, but down to the mound. They began to side more with that first group, the group that sees the word of the cross as foolish. They didn't identify as much with that second one, the ones who were being saved, who saw the word of the cross as the power of God. They began to view human wisdom and human strength as the mountain. So Paul set out, to fix their gaze back up where it ought to be, to see true wisdom, to see true power in God. And he does so by starting off quoting Isaiah 29 and 14 in order to remind them that God is the one who is wise. He is the one who destroys the intelligence and the wisdom of the world. And it's important to note here that as we talk about wisdom Paul is never going to say that wisdom is evil. Paul is never going to say that you should never desire wisdom. Instead, he's trying to get them to see the differences in wisdom that there are. Wisdom's not the problem. He's, saying, he's not saying forget about it altogether. Rather, he's revealing there are those two kinds of wisdom. One is right and good. The other is wrong and damning. One is godly wisdom and the other is worldly wisdom. Now, godly wisdom is that which aligns with what has been revealed through Christ and His Word. It declares that the cross of Christ is the only way to salvation. That's godly wisdom. And when we align with that, it leads to humility in those who accept it. Those who accept godly wisdom have an understanding that we can't be good enough We can't be smart enough. We can't be obedient enough. And in essence, we just aren't enough in and of ourselves. We're not enough. That's godly wisdom. And likely, you can already see how that's very different from the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world that doesn't align with the cross of Christ, but instead aligns itself with whatever exalts self and human intellect or wisdom. That's what's lifted up by worldly wisdom. It's human intellect, human wisdom. We've got it all figured out. And it leads to pride and arrogance where people think and even teach each other and encourage each other with things like, you can be good enough. You can do it. You can be smart enough. You can earn your way. You don't need anyone else. You especially don't need some God and His so-called Savior That's worldly wisdom and it's damning. So these are the two kinds of wisdom we see Paul put forward here. These are the wisdom that's in Paul's mind. And so in order to prove his point that godly wisdom is superior to human wisdom, he brings in what I appreciate so much in verse 20, three rhetorical and sarcastic questions about those who claim to be wise. Paul's sarcasm is on full display here. He starts out, where is the one who is wise? Where is he? Where where is this wise one? Where is the one who thinks they're wiser than God? Go ahead, step forward. Where is he? If Paul were actually there and not just writing this letter, if he asked this question in person, do you know what he would have gotten in response? Crickets. Crickets. No one would have stepped forward. No one would have been, I, I'm wiser than God. I've got it figured out if you would just listen to me. No, that would be ridiculous. Everyone would look at them and say, oh, okay, give me a break, right? Where is the one who is wise? Next he asks, where is the teacher of the law? Where, where are those so-called wise Jewish scholars who reject Christ and the cross? Where are they? Because if they reject Christ and the cross, they have no right to be a teacher of the law because they've completely missed the whole point of the law. The whole point of the law was to point to our need for Jesus, for someone to come to do what we couldn't do who could keep the law for us, who could become our righteousness. And so if there's someone out there who's saying that they are a teacher of the law and they're saying, you don't need Jesus, you don't need the cross, don't listen to them. Where is the debater of this age? You know, the ones who, who you love to praise for being gifted speakers, who like to argue a lot and who are really good at it, where, where are they at? Those who know all about philosophy, philosophy, Where are they? What words can they weave together to refute the wisdom of God displayed in the cross? There are no words, spoiler alert. There are no words that can do that. Their wisdom is bankrupt. It's worthless. They may as well be a toddler trying to speak authoritatively on rocket science. And if you ever want to have any chance at getting to the moon again or to Mars again or anywhere else in space, don't ask Lydia for how to do it (laughs) because she will be no help. And the same is true for those who are following worldly wisdom. If you want to get to God and if you want salvation, don't ask those who say you can do it, you can make it yourself because you won't, you can't. It's worthless, it's bankrupt, it's utter foolishness. Paul declares, not in his own authority, but the authority that God has bestowed on him, that comes from God himself who created all things, he declares that he has made the wisdom of this world to be foolish. It's foolish. And he did so by taking what the world sees as foolish, the cross of Christ, and he sent people out preaching it, so that those who would believe would be saved through it. That's what he did. He made the wisdom of the world foolish by taking the foolishness that the world thought in the cross of Christ and making that the only way to be saved. And what's even more astonishing than that, that the word of the cross is that the word of the cross contains exactly what the world is searching for. Everything that the world wants, wisdom and power. Everything that it wants is found in the cross of Christ. Paul tells us specifically that the Jews ask for signs, which is evidence of God's power. They want to see it on display. And the Greeks, they seek wisdom. We want to know the truth. And both of them stumble over the preaching of Christ crucified. Notice now what Paul calls Christ crucified. Paul says that those, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, everything that the world is searching for is going to come up short unless they look to the cross of Christ. They will not find wisdom or power leading to salvation in human wisdom or human strength. It's just not going to happen because even God's foolishness, Paul says, which is not real, God is not foolish, but what they believe to be the foolishness of God is wiser than all human wisdom. All of it. And he says, God's weakness, again, There is no weakness in God, but what the world perceives and believes to be the weakness of God is stronger than all human strength. The answer and solution to all their desires, all the world's desires for power and wisdom, can only be found in the cross of Christ. Paul is very clear about that. So church, we need to be careful here. That we don't fall into the same trap as these Corinthian believers who were at one time fixed their gaze on the mountain of God's wisdom and power but have now drifted to the mound. They were seduced by worldly wisdom and human strength. We need to be careful that we don't do the same. Because there are people out there, there are those out there teaching things that sound really good to our fleshly minds but are actually foolishness. There are those out there who are so good with their words, so much better than I could ever be. They are so cunning that they can teach things so obviously contrary to the Bible and the gospel that even believers will begin to think, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe they're on to something. Maybe, maybe I should listen to more of that. Maybe that dirt pile is what I need to look at. Maybe I don't need to go to Colorado and look at the glorious Rockies. This is good enough. We need to be careful that we don't start searching for a greater wisdom than the cross of Christ, because we will find none. We need to be careful that we don't start searching for a greater power than the cross of Christ, because we will find none we need to see God's wisdom and power on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe that it is enough. To believe that it alone leads to salvation for those who are called and believe in Him. That's the first mountain. So now that we've seen the mountain of God's wisdom and power in the cross of Christ, we need to be sure that we also see the mountain of God's grace in the cross of Christ as well. Read with me 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in in the Lord. Paul's main point here is basically, you're not all that. God is. You have no room to boast unless you're boasting in him. Paul tells them to consider their calling. He wants them to consider the state they were in when God called him to himself. He says, think about it. Not many of you were wise, even from a human perspective, which we just learned was foolishness. Not many of you were even wise in that. Not many of you were powerful from a human perspective. You didn't have a lot of pull in society. Not many of you were of noble birth. Instead, he says, God chose you, the foolish in the world, to shame those who think themselves to be wise and without need for God. He chose what was insignificant and despised in the world that was viewed as nothing in order to bring to nothing what has been raised up as something. He did this to make sure that no one thought they could boast in his presence because there is no room for boasting in his presence. So for those outside the church then, those who are not believers Paul essentially is saying, what room do they have to boast in themselves? None. He says they are being put to shame. They are being brought to nothing. But what about those inside the church? Surely they've got some room to boast, right? No. They have none. We have no room to boast. Paul makes it clear that it is purely by God's grace that this church, these Corinthian believers, are in Christ. It is all of God. It is because of Christ, who is the wisdom of God, that they are redeemed, sanctified, and counted righteous. The only boasting they can do is in the Lord, their God, who called them to Himself. That is it. So church, just as we can all too often start to gaze upon and follow the wisdom of the world, and seek power and human strength, we can also begin to think pretty highly of ourselves. I mean, you know it to be true. When you ask those outside the church what they think of those inside the church, what's often on their mind? Oh, they're holier than thou. They think they're better than me. And a lot of times, it's because of how the church acts, right? Because we have that attitude. We can begin to walk around and forget where we came from. And how we got here, where we are now in Christ. We can start to be tempted to boast in ourselves, look at me, I'm not foolish like the world. I followed Christ, who is the wisdom and power of God. Aren't I great? I saw what everyone else missed. I'm pretty awesome. We must reject that temptation. Because if we don't, God will come along and he will make sure to bring us back to reality. He'll make sure that we consider our calling again. Consider the state that we were in when God called you and me to himself. Not many wise. Look around. Not many of us in here were too wise. Not many of us were powerful. Not many of us were of noble birth. We were the foolish of the world. We were the weak in the world. We were nothing before God. We must remember who chose who first. We didn't choose God first, but He first chose us. Just as as we didn't love God first, He first loved us. He called us. We responded to the call. We didn't come up to God and say, hey, you know it would be a good idea? For you to send your son and save us because we can't do it ourselves. No, it was his idea, his wisdom, his plan. And he said, hey, I've done this. I've called you. Respond to me in faith. So we have no room to boast. Brothers and sisters, we are in Christ Jesus not because of anything we have done. It's all because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We have no room to boast because there's no room for boasting in God's presence. The third mountain, the last mountain we must see, is God's plan. Read with me chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Here's the main truth we see in these verses. God's plan for the gospel spreading is not contingent on human eloquence or wisdom. It's not. Instead, it rests solely on the faithful proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified in order to bring people to faith. Look at what Paul does here. Paul reminds them again, just like he did last week in verse 17, that he didn't come to them with brilliant speech or wisdom. Instead, he simply came with the intent to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He sought to be faithful in preaching the gospel and was not worried about anything else. He didn't bring with him any social opinions that might win him favor, any political opinions that might win him favor, or any products to sell them to win him favor. He decided that Christ and Christ crucified was enough. That was enough. And in not just that, he reminds them also of how unexceptional he was. He says he was weak, When he came to them, he was in fear when he came to them, and he was trembling a great deal. His speech and his preaching were not likely something you'd find in a preaching class today. He would not have been the example of, here's how you deliver a great sermon. They probably would have looked at him and said, Paul, you gave it your best, but a C, I guess, is what he would have probably gotten He didn't come with persuasive words of wisdom. Instead, he came, as he says, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that no one would doubt a person's faith. So that no one, not even Paul himself, would question whether or not that person responded more to the messenger than the message. Because if they believed the gospel Paul preached, which was done unexceptionally with a lot of trembling, the only explanation of their faith had to be because the Spirit of God moved their hearts to believe, rather than it was because of Paul speaking and evoking a purely emotional response. Because there are speakers out there who can do that. Who can say things and put things in a way that play and tug on our emotional heartstrings, And that will get us to feel something. But that's not what Paul did. He wanted it not to be because he was some eloquent speaker and preacher. He wanted it to be that they believed because they believed. That they wanted the gospel. That they wanted Christ and Christ crucified and nothing else. And praise be to God that they responded to the message more than merely the messenger. I mean, this book, they don't even like Paul at this point, but they still believed Paul at the beginning. They still responded to the gospel he preached. They believed in that gospel. Now, they've got a little problems here, but at first they believed because they heard Christ and Christ crucified, and they said, I want that. And that's good news for us. It really is. It's good news for us. It's especially good news for us introverts that don't like speaking to people we don't know. I know I'm a pastor and I preach every Sunday, but I don't like it. I don't like talking to people that I don't know very well. It's hard for me, it's uncomfortable. But Paul is an example of it doesn't matter. He can still use me. He can still use you. Even when we get a little fearful, even when we get a little trembly, when we're uncomfortable, our voices get a little shaky. The gospel, if we will just say it, if we'll get it out of our mouths that Jesus died for sinners, that he paid the price for them, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, and that anyone who looks to him and believes in him they'll be saved. If we can get that out and we can share that with people, that is enough. So whether you're a trembling Paul or a vibrant Apollos, because I'm sure there's a few of us in here that are extroverts and like to go talk to people a lot. Whichever way you go, the effect is still the same because it's the same Christ preached. It's the same wisdom and power of God. We see clearly here that God's plan for the spread of the gospel is not dependent on how well we can communicate. God's plan is simply for His people, His church, us, those who have been called and are in Christ Jesus to faithfully go and share the message, share the good news, We can go like Paul did in weakness, fear, and trembling, and we can trust that if we proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified as the only way of salvation, then the Spirit of God who worked then, who is still working now, will move in the same power just as He did when the church in Corinth was planted. And people will believe. You don't need persuasive words and eloquence to faithfully proclaim the gospel. You need to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the perfect and beautiful mountain of God's plan. See it clearly and follow it. Church, we must not get so caught up with the dirt mounds in Kansas that we forget that there is a state next to us with the rocky mountains that were carved with the hand of God. Brothers and sisters, you must get out the word of God. Get it out, open it up, and see clearly these mountains. See clearly the mountain of God's wisdom and power. See clearly the mountain of God's grace in your life, that you are only saved because of him and him sending his son for you. And see clearly the mountain of God's plan, which involves you. Praise God, you are a part of it. You're not on the bench, you're in the game. It involves you and me going and lifting other people's eyes off of those mounds and to the mountains. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, We hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.